Amen. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn with me, please, for the scripture reading. It's in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, that's at the very end of the Bible, in chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not, but you can find it. Last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for coming out on this cold, wintry Mississippi day. Hmm. I'm not from Ottawa. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, where it's 33 degrees below zero. I'm from Orlando. And uh, where it's always, you know, 72. So what can I say? It's cold here. I'm really glad to see you. Thank you very much. Hear now the word of God beginning in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bless you and honor you for being one who was worthy to open the scroll to read it. And we come to you now, calling no one but you our teacher, and we pray now that you will send Holy Spirit to us, that our eyes may be open to see your truth, our ears may be unstopped to hear you speak, and our hearts may be softened so that we will learn of you and be empowered to serve you. And as you do this, we promise you, we pledge to you our praise and our thanks. Amen. I don't know if you knew it or not, but this is a special week in the calendar of your church. This is the first week of a whole month that's going to be devoted to the mission of the church. Did you know that? You can nod. It's okay. Don't nod off, but you can nod. Okay, good. That's great. I'm glad if you came here knowing that, you're a very brave person because you already know what's going to be said, not just this week, but the, every other week this month. And it's basically this. Jesus set his disciples and those who follow him on a mission. And the mission can be summarized in many different ways. So let me just put it to you as plainly as I possibly can. Jesus calls everyone who follows him to do all they can to make his disciples everywhere in the world. As many followers of Jesus everywhere in the world as possible. That's our mission. It's a big mission. It includes the whole world, and it includes lots of people, 
and it includes all of us here participating and trying to reach that goal. That's the mission. Now I have to tell you something. I don't know how you feel about the last two years, but most people, most faithful followers of Jesus just really haven't had their eyes on that big mission. We've had other things that have consumed our thoughts, haven't they? Can somebody say amen to that? Yeah, I would say so. And so it's real important at a time when we are still in the throes of that kind of situation where it can be easy for us to say, you know, I really don't have time for this. I don't really have the energy to put into this idea of what? Spreading the word of Jesus everywhere in the world. It's important for a church to give its heart, its attention, its life, and to renew its commitment to this great mission that Jesus gave us. And that's what this month is all about. I can remember a time maybe two or three years ago when I was driving from Austin, Texas, north toward Dallas. And if you've ever been on that road, big highway that goes all the way between those cities, uh, it's quite a drive and is a lot of flatlands, but every once in a while you come to a rise. And I remember noticing a rise, but over that rise, way off in the distance, you could see some smoke going up into the air. I didn't thinking, think anything about it right at first, but as I got closer to that rise, I began to see that smoke was getting larger and larger and larger. I came up over the hill just a little bit and suddenly had to slam my brakes on because the whole interstate was shut down and the traffic had backed up just right to the rise. It had backed up, almost crashed into the cars lined up there in the highway. And then we sat there and sat there and sat there. Still couldn't see where all this smoke was coming from or what was causing the smoke, but it was clear it was something bad up in the road ahead of us. And we were just waiting to see what would happen. Well, you can imagine Texans, you know, they don't stay in their cars very well. Okay, so people would get out of their cars, start walking up and down the road, talking to each other, and everybody wanted to know, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? And everybody would just say, no, I don't have a clue what's going on. Must be bad, but I don't have an idea what's going on. Well, eventually the traffic started moving just a little bit because the police were up ahead and they were detouring everybody off the exit. And, you know, one by one, we would turn and go around this big smoke that was up there in the street, in the road. You still couldn't tell what it was, but we knew what we were supposed to do. And that is get in line and go off the road. And I can remember that as I came up, as the traffic would stop, move a little bit, stop, move a little bit, I stopped right next to the police officer that was directing us like this. And so I rolled down my window and I said, what's going on? <sighs> he said, it's a mess, but don't worry about it. We've got it. Get moving. And so I get moving. Eventually made it all the way to Dallas. It's a mess, but don't worry about it. Get moving. Uh, this passage we just read is about just that. The mess, don't worry about it, we've got it. Now get moving. Let's think about the mess. The book of Revelation was written to the early church of Jesus. And it told them in many different ways that the situation they were facing right then and that the church of Jesus was going to face in the future 
was going to be one big mess. And as you go chapter by chapter through this book, you discover something, and that is that there's someone who can take care of it, but you've got to know there's trouble and there's trial and there's suffering and pain all around you and within you if you are the followers of Jesus. And so this chapter begins with God the Father sitting on the throne, and God the Father has written a scroll, and he's holding on to the scroll on his throne. And it's a scroll that has seven seals, and you probably know the book goes on to have different of these seals broken and talks about different chapters in this scroll, as it were. And the problem, though, as God is holding this scroll is this. Somebody needs to open it up. Somebody needs to be able to break those seals and open them and figure out what great plan God has behind all of this trouble, all of this mess, and be able to implement, to put into effect that great plan that God the Father has for taking care of all the mess. But there was a problem. They started looking around in heaven. They looked on the earth. They looked even beneath the earth and they couldn't find anyone who was worthy to open the scroll. No one was worthy to open it up, to learn what the Father had planned, and make it happen. And that caused a very severe reaction from the Apostle John, who was seeing this image, this vision of heaven. Look at verse 4. He said, I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. This is the situation all of us should feel today. Because all of us wish that we could figure out why all the things that have been happening to us, all the bad things, all the trouble, all the mess, that's been going on in your life, why it's been happening, and what's going to take place to fix it all. Is there any purpose in this thing called the pandemic? You know, we feel like, I mean, I noticed most of you don't have masks on, so you probably feel like, well, we're pretty much at the end of the pandemic. And on the heels of the pandemic, what do we experience? Just terrible economic troubles? Anybody troubled by the economy these days? Anybody? Anybody fearful of what's going to happen to your family and your friends because of the economy that we're facing? We're facing now the threat of war, serious, big war. We don't know if the pandemic is going to return to us or if another pandemic is going to come. We know it will come, but we don't know when. And our culture today in the United States of America is riddled with violence, with unrest, political struggles. And you live in a city that by many measurements has the highest rate of murder in the entire United States of America. Are you aware of that? Some of us have suffered the loss of loved ones. I have suffered the loss of loved ones. 
through the pandemic. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of our businesses have gone out of business and we don't know what in the world is going to happen. Some of us have children who are taking this time as opportunity finally to come out and to rebel openly against all the things that we hold dear. Isn't that happening to us? Aren't these the kinds of realities you face? The world is one big mess, just like it was for the people who first received this book. And all of us wish we could say, I know what's going to happen. I know what the future holds. I know how it's all going to work out. We don't need to worry about it, but we do because life is troubling and life right now in ways that has never been before for most of us in this room is one gigantic mess. And it's only natural, it's only normal. In fact, it's actually right that when you face this reality that we deal with here in this country and around the world, to weep, as the Apostle John did. Because we want someone to understand the plan of God behind all of this and to implement it so that all these troubles go away. But if you stay in the mess, if you allow it to preoccupy you and to consume your life, there's something that will disappear from your life. It's the mission. I've noticed it as I've gone around churches and I get around a lot in our denomination and other denominations. I haven't left the country since the pandemic came, but I get around this country and I've noticed something about almost every church that I have been in in the last two years. And it's this. We have tended to lose our vision for the mission. We've tended to let go of the mission that Jesus has put us on, this worldwide global mission, because we are so deeply concerned about what's happening to us. Well, you remember what that police officer said to me when I rolled down my window and said, what's going on? And he said, well, it's a real mess. Let's face it, it's a mess. But remember the police officer, officer didn't just say, it's a big mess, as he was trying to get us to move along the detour, get off that exit and avoid all the trouble that was ahead on the highway. He said something else. Does anybody remember what he said? He said, don't worry, we've got it. Oh, that was good. That was a good word. I was glad he could say that rather than tell me, we don't know what's going on either. Now he said, now we've got it. We've got it. And this is what the apostle John was wanting. And this is what the creatures in heaven and on the earth and beneath the earth were wanting. They wanted to know that Somebody got it. Somebody's got it. Somebody has control of this. Somebody's going to manage this. Somebody's going to work all of this out. In other words, somebody would be worthy of opening the scroll that the Father had in his hand, 
breaking the seals, looking into the plan that God had for all the troubles and how he was going to work all that out. And he would have the power then to implement that plan and to take care of everything. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's a mess, but don't worry. We've got it. Well, they searched high and low for someone, and at first they could not find anyone who was worthy to open this scroll that the Father had written. But finally they found someone. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. If you don't recognize it, this is a reference to Jesus. Jesus who had already died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now was in heaven with the Father. And finally, one of the elders says, we have found the one, we have found him, Jesus, who can open the scroll, who can learn what the plan is, and make it happen. But notice how this Jesus is described. He's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Lion. Lion was a symbol of kings in the ancient world, and it symbolized their power, their power to do what they wanted to do. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then he goes on to say, the root of David. This is the son of David. Now, I know that in many respects today, we don't think this way very much about our Christian faith, but try to understand what was going on here in this passage. This reference to the tribe of Judah, this reference to the house of David, is very important for those who first received this book. It was extremely important for this reason. It was because God had promised centuries earlier that the house of David and the throne of David, the one who sat on his throne in the future, would one day conquer all the enemies of God and rule over the entire planet in peace and harmony and justice and righteousness. That promise was made to King David thousands of years ago. And the Christian faith says this, that descendant of David, that descendant who would sit on the throne, who would conquer all the enemies of God, remove evil from the earth, and establish the kingdom of God in righteousness and in justice, is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Do you ever wonder why we tell people to put their hopes in Jesus? Do you ever wonder why you put all your hopes in Jesus? It's because he is that son of David. He is the one who inherits the promise that he will conquer the enemies of God and bring the kingdom of God to the earth. He is the only one who could do that. He's the only one who is worthy. 
And why is he so worthy of this? Not just because he's the son of David, not just because he's from the tribe of Judah, but you notice what it says there in verse 5 again. He has conquered. He has conquered. The Christian mission is all about telling the world that there is one who has conquered sin and conquered death conquer trouble and the wages of all that we deserve. There is one who has done that, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, we live in a country right now, even a city that you live in, where people think that the idea of putting all your hope and putting all your trust exclusively in Jesus well, that's ridiculous. There are many religions. There are many possibilities out there. There are many ways to try to find something that's better than the world in which we live today. This is what we hear every single day in the media. It's what we find in our neighbors who live next door to us. It's what I discovered as I drove over here today and found the roads absolutely empty because no one was out like they were 30 years ago in this city going to church. You are the strange ones in this city. You got up this morning and went to church. We live in a world that does not affirm anything special about Jesus. But we are people who have heard like John did that day, that there is one man who is worthy to open the seals of the scroll that has the plan of God in it, to unfurl it, to read it, and to make it happen. And that one man, that one person in all of human history is this Jesus whom we serve. There is no other, there is not another option Neither you nor the greatest religious leaders of the world are worthy of opening the scroll of the plan of God. Only one, and it is Jesus. And it is because he has already, in his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, conquered all evil. And so I challenge you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus... If you have not come to faith in him, consider how unique Jesus is. He is the one who inherited promises from God given to the tribe of Judah, the house of David. He came to this earth. He suffered and died on the cross to pay the debt that we owe to God because of our rebellion against him. And God gave this Jesus his just reward, his just reward for living such a perfect and righteous life. And what was that reward? Resurrection from the dead. And more than this, he was exalted in the heavenly places so that now he rules over all. And when we ask the question, who can understand the messy world we're a part of? Who can figure out what secret plan is behind all the troubles that I experience in my personal life, that we experience here in this place, that our churches go through, that the world goes through all around us, and that the countries of this world are suffering so horribly with every single day? 
when we ask the question, who could possibly understand these things? Who can possibly take care of all of these things? The answer is this, the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, he is worthy. And so now we who follow him, we who claim to follow him, must ask ourselves this question, do we really believe that? Or have we made Jesus something much more convenient and something that is more easily believed? Maybe you are firmly committed to the idea that your personal salvation rests in the work of Jesus on the cross. I hope that you know that that's true. I hope you've come to faith in him and he has forgiven you of your sins and that you now follow him in a very personal, intimate way. But very often, especially in times of troubles like we've been facing now and the troubles that are still on the horizon, it's very easy to reduce our Christian faith just down to our personal relationship with God in Christ. And to take our eyes off the grandeur of who this Jesus actually is. Well, if that's true, if that's happened to you, if you find yourself so preoccupied with the troubles that you are facing, and maybe if you're super spiritual, maybe the troubles that your nuclear family is facing, if that's how you have come to understand your Christian faith, it's time to get the bigger picture. Because this Jesus is not one who simply takes care of you and takes care of your children, takes care of your family. It's not just one that just takes care of this church. This Jesus is the one who takes care of everything. As I seek to make disciples of Jesus in various parts of the world, I've just finally come to the point where I have stopped telling people, if you'll come to Jesus, he'll take care of you. I've just stopped telling them that. I remember one time getting a phone call from an American Jew who had moved to Bali, Indonesia, and I'd met him there. And he calls me on the phone and he says, Rich, I need you to tell me about this Jesus. He had become a Buddhist and had moved to Bali. An American Jew becomes a Buddhist and moves to Bali, Indonesia. How's that sound to you? And I said, well, Charlie, the Christian faith is all about Jesus. He said, I don't know anything about Jesus. In my family, Jesus was just a cuss word. I don't know anything about him. So I finally said to him, at that moment, took a big risk because this is a weird thing to say to somebody who doesn't know much about the Christian faith. I said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. He's the king of the world. And he's going to make the whole world into the kingdom of God. A world of justice, a world of peace, a world of righteousness and goodness. And I said to Charlie on the phone that night, I said, Charlie, do you want to be a part of that? And I waited, and I waited, and he said, yes, 
I want to be a part of that. It's time for us to start proclaiming who Jesus actually is. He's the one who is worthy to open the scroll, to know the plan of God for the world, and to make it happen. And he's the only one, and we need to begin to say that to our neighbors as they put their hopes in things like, I can get a good job. As they put their hopes in things like, I can overcome this sickness. As they put their hopes in things like, politicians who will make better choices than other politicians. Aren't you tired of putting your hopes in politicians? We are the ones who must begin to proclaim boldly, without hesitation, without fear, that there is only one who is worthy of our allegiance, only one who can take care of all things, and that is our King Jesus. Now, when this word was announced, John stopped weeping. In fact, everyone stopped weeping. Everyone's eyes were open, and they could see something about this Jesus. Remember how the police officer said to me, it's a mess up there, yeah, but don't worry, we've got it. Jesus has got it, everyone. Jesus has got it. And then what did he say to me? Do you remember? He said, now get moving. Get moving. Well, this is the call of this passage to us, too, because the focus as this passage continues is on where are we going? Where is this Jesus taking us? What's he going to do? How is he going to work these things out? And I want you to read a portion of the passage that we have not read yet, and that begins in verse 9. And they, those are the elders in heaven and creatures above the earth and beneath the earth and on the earth, this is what they begin to do. And they sang a new song. I need to stop for a moment and tell you, when you read in the Bible that it says new song, this is a Bible way of saying a song of victory. It's a song that you would sing when you would have a victory in a battle. It means a song of renewal, a song of goodness, a song of we can do this, we can make it. They sang a new song. Now listen to the song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God. This is our focus. Jesus, by his blood, this is our mission, to proclaim that Jesus, by his blood, has ransomed a people for God from this world that is falling to pieces. But notice from where these people come. A people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is why the Christian mission is worldwide. It's because Jesus did not come to do a small thing of saving you and me and a handful of other people here and there. He certainly didn't come simply to bring good news of salvation to the United States of America. Instead, Jesus is the one who has ransomed a people for God from every tribe, every nation, every language in the entire world. And it is only as he does that that his victory over evil will be seen. Can you understand then why he looked at his disciples on the day when he ascended into heaven and he said, go therefore and teach 
all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All nations, all people, because Jesus' work in this world is worldwide. Beyond this, he also says, beginning in verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. It's not that Jesus came to this world to find a bunch of people who are losers so that they would continue to be losers, people who are oppressed by sin and injustice and unrighteousness of themselves and of those around them and leave them in that condition. Instead, he came to redeem people from all over the world to become a kingdom and priest to God. What greater honor could a person possibly want than to be a kingdom full of priests that serve and honor God? The glory that awaits those who come to Jesus is absolutely astonishing. This is a victory song of the great glory that will be ours and will be for all people who come to him from every tribe and every nation and every language in the whole world. That's what our mission is about, raising up a kingdom, a kingdom of priests. But now look at the very last line. Why is Jesus so worthy? Why is he so honorable? Why is he able to break the seals, open the scroll, read it, and make it happen? And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There is a battle going on today. And the battle involves spirits, both evil and good ones, and it involves people who fall under the influence of those spirits. That's what's going on in our world today. Behind all the conflict, behind all the troubles, behind all the trials that we face in our world today, this big mess that we live in today is this kind of battle. And it is a battle for the world. So very often we tell people if they'll just come to Jesus, that what they'll do is they'll be forgiven of their sins, and you will be, and that you can hold on because life is going to be just horrible for you, and in some respects it always will be. But when you die, don't worry, things will get better because you'll go to heaven, you'll receive a golden harp, you'll be able to sit in the heavenly places and play that golden harp forever and ever and ever and ever. That's about the highest dream, the highest hope we ever give people even when we take the time to tell them what the hope that Jesus has means for them. But I want you to hear what Jesus actually is doing. Jesus will one day transform the entire earth into the kingdom of God. You know, even a world that is now a mess with all its trials and all of its troubles, you know what it's like that we can get glimpses of how wonderful this world is, can't we? When you get up in the morning and you see that breathtaking sunrise, when you hear that song, 
that just lifts you out of where you are when you first fall in love, when you have those kinds of experiences in life, you realize there's, there are good things in this world. Even a world that is as corrupt and as hopeless as the world in which we live today. Now imagine this world made new. Imagine a world where there is no more sickness. Where there is no more suffering. Where there is no more injustice. Imagine a world where you will, where you will have no shame whatsoever. No shame at all for anything you have ever done. That would be a great world, won't it? Imagine a world where there will be no sickness, no death, no trials. Only joy. A world that is so holy and so good that God himself lights up the sky. Imagine living in that world. That is what Jesus brings. That is what Jesus will give. It will all belong to him. But on the day in which he does this, he will turn to everyone who follows him, no matter where they are in the world, and he will say to them, it all now belongs to you. That is why Jesus is worthy. That's why we serve him. That's why we're a part of the mission. Because he has placed it in our hands to move this mission forward. So I call on you now, this month, as a church, as you begin to focus on the mission, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, the news that you see on television is not going to be good news. I hate to tell you this, it's not going to be. The personal trials that you're going through are not going to disappear. The heartaches that you have are not going to vanish from your life. But there is one that you know, Jesus, and he is worthy to open the scroll of God's plan and to make it happen in this world. And what will he do? He will ransom a people for God from every tribe and every nation. He will make them a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth made new. That is our mission, to proclaim this message about Jesus and to give the world a victory song to sing. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, how we bless you for being the one who is worthy of all praise and all honor. We join with those in heaven on the earth and even beneath the earth on that day, who honored you as the worthy one, as the one who is the only hope of the world. Grant to us, grant to us, the ability to rise out of our own personal needs, our own personal pain, our own personal suffering, and to look beyond ourselves to the entire world. Give us, Lord, hearts that burn, that are on fire for this great mission that you will accomplish. Make us part of it, Lord, and we will give you the praise and we will give you the honor for it. Amen.